Uh, this morning we're going to uh, read a, a small portion of scripture in First Chronicles, and you'll maybe get a little glimpse into some behind-the-scenes Sarah family time at home. Um, I have a hard enough time speaking English some days, um, but when it comes to Hebrew and genealogies, uh, when we study at home as a family, it seems like when it's time for a long list of Hebrew names or difficult names, uh, it's always my turn to read. Uh, and so the kids usually start laughing. They'll probably start laughing before I read this morning. But uh, there's several names here that I have no idea how to pronounce. Um, so I'm going to give it my best shot. At home, I usually just mumble and read really fast to get through it. I'm going to try not to do that. But uh, bear with me as we read some of these names, and we'll get to the, the point of our lesson here at the end. First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 21. The sons of Shelah, the sons of Judah, were Ur, the father of Lakah, Lada, the father of Maresha, the families of the house of the linen workers were the house of Ashbia, also Jochim, the men of Choseba, and Joash, Seraph, who ruled in Moab, Jashubi, Lahem. Now these records are ancient. These were the potters and those who dwell at Netiim and Gedorah. There they dwelt with the king for his work. As we read this list, there's a lot of names, and, and really the names aren't going to be looked at much further than that, and I, I will hope to not repeat any of them uh, as we go on today. But as we read through Chronicles, you see a lot of names, you see a lot of lists, uh, you see recording of different things, and really in the book of First Chronicles, you see the events of these ones' lives and their kingdoms. Uh, the Chronicles are a history book of sorts, and they tend to give us a, a priestly point of view in comparison to the book of Kings. The term Chronicles is an expression for a Hebrew title meaning the words of the days. The books of Chronicles are annals, records, histories of the nation of Israel with a particular focus on David's family and his dynasty. Much in the same way today, there are records of worldly rulers, presidents, whoever it is, celebrities, certainly different technology to record the events of lives today. But this was a means of recording what happened, uh, particularly in the Word of God, where we're focused on God's plan and purpose for the nation of Israel, mankind at large. But as we read through these chronicles, we can just get bogged down if you're anything like me, and if you struggle with the Hebrew language, maybe you guys don't, but I struggle with the Hebrew words that we come across. Sometimes you just get rolling and and you miss stuff, and that's kind of where I was as this lesson came along this morning. And as I was going through this and just thinking about records and chronicles and and trying to understand the purpose or reflecting on the purpose of them, rather. They really are recorded for us to see God at work, to see some of the details, to see some of the minutia, really, if you will, of what God was doing in the lives of his people. One example we see in history is in the book of Esther. We can turn over there quickly this morning. And Esther is not really the point of our lesson this morning, but I think we see how God can use recordings to bring about his will. In Esther 6.1, we see here the king having trouble sleeping, picking up in verse 1. It says, That night the king could not sleep, so one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And again, these were probably records of a Persian court of some kind, but the king wanted these records read, records of what had happened in the kingdom. And of course, as it just happened to come to pass that night, What they read about was Mordecai, his actions and how he uh, 
revealed a scheme to overturn the kingdom. And the king asked, well, what was done to honor Mordecai? And we know the story goes on from there. Nothing was done to honor Mordecai until the king read these records. So again, not really the point looking at Mordecai's lesson this morning, but really looking at this was a recording of a recording that God used to bring about his will. So it goes without saying God's word is important. It's inspired. It's preserved for our learning, for our remembrance. He records things, even minor details, for a reason, for a purpose, for our learning and for our study. There's little nuggets all throughout Scripture if we just pause for a moment and look a little bit further. Brother David this morning mentioned in Sunday school, if you just take time to look at words and the context of words, the meanings of words, there's so much that we can learn in the Bible. So as we read in our opening text, in verse 23, it says, These were the potters. And that's really kind of the focus of what we're going to look at this morning. These were the potters. Just a small phrase thrown in here in this long list of names, this long genealogy that opens up the book of First Chronicles. But it's one that I think we can glean some application and some learning for our lives as we go on today. Potters, being a potter was a trade. It was a work. It was a labor. These were laborers. These were artisans. It appears from our text that certain groups or families may have been more inclined to this trade than others. We also saw earlier on that there were names listed for those who were linen workers. God had people set out to do certain works, as he much does today in the body of Christ. The word potter has the thought as its function is to mold into form, to form something, to fashion something, to frame, to make something with one's hands. So as we, we look at trades, and I don't know what your profession may be, but I'm sure that you've either gone to school to learn something about your profession, your trade, whatever it may be. And there's usually a standard that you look to to understand how to do it really well. Uh, if we were going to study art, we might look at Monet or Van Gogh, uh, some of the most famous artists. Uh, football season is, is coming up here uh, rather quickly, so... If you wanted to understand how to play quarterback in football, you would likely start by studying John Elway. <laughs> For those who don't know, I'm from Colorado, so it, that's why I would mention his name. I just saw a couple of minutes, but we'll protect the innocent. No one turn around and, and look back further in church. But seriously speaking, if, if we want to understand a trade and how it's done really well, we look at those who are the best, the masters of that, and of course we know who the master potter is. It is our Lord. The first occurrence of this word potter that we look at in Scripture is all the way back in Genesis, where it says God formed man, that's our word, formed man of the dust of the ground. Again, reflecting the basic meaning of our word, to mold, to mold something into a desired shape for a desired purpose. Again, I don't think it's happenstance that it just happens to be the first time we see this word, we understand that it is speaking of God Almighty, the creator of all things who formed the world, who created man out of the dust of the earth, the master potter, and then he breathed life into these clay vessels. A couple more instances of this word we find in Isaiah. We'll go to Isaiah 64 first, and we'll look at another one in verse 8. In Isaiah 64 and 8, we read, But now, O Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, you are our potter, and we are all the work of your hand. 
We are the work of his hand, as we see all the way back to Genesis and creation. All creation is the work of God's hand, the master potter. We are formed by God, handcrafted by him. Again, we look at things, if you go to a store at times, and there's a label, this has been handcrafted. The thought is it was made by hands versus some type of machine. The Lord made us with his own hands for a purpose, that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Vines goes on to define this word again, to form, mold, or fashion. It's a word common in all Hebrew periods. It's used in modern Hebrew in the sense of to produce or to create. The word is a technical potter's term, and it is often used in connection with the potter at work. It's sometimes used as a general term of craftsmanship or handiwork, whether of molding, carving, or casting. Another clear example of this is in Isaiah 45. Just a few chapters back, in Isaiah 45 and verse 7, it says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all things. Almost half of the uses of this word, this Hebrew word yetzer or potter as we translate it into English, are found in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. So if you want to do a word study on this word potter, Isaiah is a good place to look at it. We see God is the creator, the master, the one who forms, makes, and does And we are his subject. And as we look at this in a little bit more detail today, we ourselves are the clay vessels that God is working on, ultimately becoming and being used by the Lord, us ourselves becoming potters to do the master's work. The master potter is the standard bearer, and we can learn much from him for our role, for our purpose in this life, by studying the work that he is doing in and through us. And that will really be the focus of our lesson this morning, of just looking at this little passage in 1 Chronicles 4, verse 23. These were the potters. There they dwelt with the king for his work. And one of the first things we notice as we we jump off from this text this morning is that they're listed simply as potters. These were the potters. Pretty short, sweet, not a lot of focus, not a lot of spotlight placed on that that word, just these are the potters. They weren't listed individually, called out by name, given any kind of special credence or pat on the back. But that doesn't diminish the work that they had to do or the place that they had in the king's estate. We remember the end of that passage. They dwelt near the king. Potters were one of the highest grade of workers. In this case, the king needed potters. They were essential to his household, and therefore they were put into royal service. Again, although the material that they were working on was nothing more than dirt, their work was of a royal order. The fact is evident, and they held value because they dwelt with the king. They dwelt by the king. He provided and met met their need. He cared for them, and he kept them near him for his service. Again, you can start to see the correlation of us in the king's service. We, too, may be engaged in the most menial part of the Lord's work in our day-to-day life, But what a privilege is ours to do anything for the Almighty. Something we need to remember, whether we are known by name or not, we are known by the King. And it is him we serve. As we go on today, we'll briefly consider their position, their trade, as we've done a little bit already, their dwelling place, and lastly, the work that they were called to do. As we read our opening passage, if you're anything like me, like I I talked about sometimes when I get into those names, I just start to read quickly, and and sometimes I pass over things and miss out on some of these nuggets. So I'm always grateful when the Lord 
causes us to stop and to look and to reflect on some of these little details at times that we might just overlook. And as I first came about this passage, it was like, well, what does this detail mean? Why was it included? And I think as we study this out, you'll see it was an important piece of that family. It was an important piece of the king's royal estate to have these potters. Again, God recorded it for a purpose as he does all his work. These were not just simply forgotten or overlooked laborers. And again, I'm sure at some point you have experienced that, or maybe you have witnessed it in your own place of work, where you see people's work being undervalued or forgotten about. We read about Mordecai uh, just a few moments ago. His, his work, I mean, this work that saved somebody's life was just cast off and forgotten. But these individuals, these potters, had an important job. They were skilled individuals, they were artisans, and they were to produce vessels that were useful to the king. They molded out of common clay forms of beauty and vessels meet for their master's use. I see again a correlation to our Christian walk today. We work and labor for the king of kings. It is a privileged position that is ours. It was a privileged position that was these potters to serve in the king's order. These royal potters didn't just make things of beauty, but they made very common vessels designated for common uses. They were called to make vessels of dishonor at times right along vessels that the king himself might use and put on royal display. Some of these things might have been works of art, and other of these things might have just literally been a vessel to wash your feet in. Never really seen by somebody else. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we see this distinction in the New Testament and how the Lord uses us as his vessels. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, we read, beginning in verse 20, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Again, if you were thinking back to this time and you were one of the king's potters, would you rather have the assignment to make dinner plates that were going to be used at some royal festival or to make that bowl that you wash your feet in. Again, I'm sure there would be some satisfaction in doing something that maybe took a little bit more time, effort, and skill, but at the end of the day, if it was what the king called on you to do, hopefully you'd be glad to do it. Again, as we see here in our our text we read a moment ago, there are vessels for honor and vessels for dishonor. Again, we can look at a variety of things, and we can see how even in our our day-to-day how There are are vessels all around us that have a purpose and they fill a need. Again, I was thinking about our dog as I was preparing this lesson, and he's got some bowls that he eats and drinks out of. And if you put our dog bowls next to my mother-in-law's dog bowls, you would see a distinct difference in the quality and the makeup of ours. I'm probably ashamed to admit this, but ours are just old Tupperware. My mother-in-law's are nice clay pots, uh, obviously hand-formed, painted, all these things. But, you know, they serve the same purpose. The dogs eat and drink out of them just the same. Hers are a lot prettier, but the functionality is really the same. And not to feel too bad, we first got our dog. I did get him some nice bowls, but he destroyed them. So I had a conversation with him. Sure, he didn't understand it, but we talked about how Tupperware is now going to be the vessel for his, his meals and his water. Ultimately, does it really matter 
what vessel we are called on to produce as a potter for the Lord. Does it really matter if the king is asking for us to make a fancy dinner plate or a dog bowl? In our lives, does it really matter what he calls us to do, whether it's something of public view or not? Or can we be a vessel of honor, whatever it looks like, in submitting to whatever the master has asked us to do in our lives? Surrendering our lives to him, saying, here I am, willing to serve whatever it is, are we willing to do it? I coached baseball for a long time for Ryan uh, when he was younger. And one of the things that I liked about Ryan, and some of it came because I was dad as well as coach, is that he would pretty much do whatever I asked him to do. And Ryan was a pretty good baseball player. He was definitely the best utility player on our team. And so I knew I could ask Ryan to play just about any position on the field and that he could go out there and be successful. Not that he would be perfect all the time, but I knew that I could call upon Ryan, hey, I need you to go play this, this, and this. I know he had preferences. I know where he liked to play and what he liked to do. But there was times that I had a need in a lineup that I needed to fill, <clears throat> and I could look to him. For the Lord, are we willing to do whatever the assignment is? Are we willing to play on the field wherever he assigns us to play? Again, Going back to our example, there were a great variety of vessels that were needed by the king. There are many forms of service and work the Lord calls us to do, and not all of them are in public view. Not all of them are something that's going to be recognized by somebody sitting around us, and that's okay. The Lord sees what is done in secret, and he rewards openly. The Bible tells us that. Again, at times, there may be something very public. We look at Paul's example. He was called to preach to kings and authorities. But oftentimes, as these potters, was to live among the hedges, hedges, to live in obscurity, making pots. And really, as their work, it's not that they wrote their name on it and people know, oh, this was made by potter A and this was made by potter B. They were just vessels that they produced for the king's service. Are we okay with whatever the Lord calls us to? We can see Paul used the body as an example of, of kind of this work and this service that we might be called to do in the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians we can turn over there to chapter 12, and we see this example Paul uses to illustrate the fact that God may call us all to do different things. The important thing is being surrendered to what he calls and following the steps that he orders for us. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 20, we read, But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and on the unpresentable parts we have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the parts which lack it, that there should be no schism in the body, that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Again, so often today, just not just in the body of Christ, I'm sure you can see it in your workplace, that, that sometimes when there's a lack of understanding or the lack of appreciation for, for what somebody else's job is or what somebody else has been called to do in the workplace or even in the church, there can be a schism or a, a division because of it, because of the lack of understanding or, or jealousy or wanting something that somebody else has. But in the work that the Lord calls us to, we can be thankful for what he calls and gives us the ability to do. We can pray for those that God is using in the body of Christ to do different parts of his work, to serve him in different ways. 
We can focus on the works, plans, and purposes that he has for us and pray for those whom he's given different work to do, that we might be able to heed Paul's exhortation that he gave to the Colossians in Colossians 3.17. He says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Again, I look at this passage in Colossians 3.17. I come back to it a lot. I refer to it a lot, it seems, when I teach, because it's one that challenges me. That whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. At times, that can be hard. I don't know if you've ever been given an assignment at work, maybe an assignment at school, maybe chores at home that just weren't at the top of your list of fun or or wanting to do. Again, there are things at, at work, challenging situations we get into, difficult people that we have to interact with. And sometimes it's hard to be thankful for that. It's hard to want to do that in a way that pleases the Lord because we in ourselves just are disgruntled or don't like that person or don't like the task that we've been called to. But this passage is one that's not optional. Paul writes here, he says, give thanks, do all things, do all things in the name of the Lord. It's the expectation and it doesn't come by gritting our teeth and powering through it. It comes by simply surrendering, saying, Lord, your ways are higher than mine. Your understanding is far greater than mine and you have a plan. You have a purpose in this, and by obedience, by the power of your spirit, I can surrender and do all things. And if we just drop down a few passages to verse 22 in Colossians 3, we read Paul go on to say, Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord... You will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Again, not with eye service, not faking it, not just mailing it in, not just going through the motions. And again, I've been there. There's times that you just get tired. As our brother mentioned this morning, there's times you just get to a point where you want to quit. But in the things of the Lord, we're not given that option. There, There is no pause button. There's no retirement. There's no time out. Walking with the Lord is a full time Endeavor, And it's one that should not just be something that we go through the motions. It's not just a checkbox. It's not just a list that we go through and say, yep, yep, yep. It's an opportunity to do it heartily, to do it from our heart, to do it because we understand that we are working for the Lord. It is for him that we are working, not for a difficult boss, not for a stubborn co-worker. It's for the almighty God. When I was growing up, my dad had his own business and I worked from him it seemed like from preschool all the way up to college uh, he would put me into his service but as I was older into my high school age years I understood that I was the boss's kid and again this is a small business so everybody knew everybody I think there was maybe all of 10 employees at most and so when I went to work for my dad it would have been easy for me to to cash it in and say hey dad's the boss You guys do this work. Dad said this needs to be done. But I made it a point for me because I loved my dad and I wanted to please him is that I made it my aim to outwork everybody in his establishment because I didn't want them to think just because I was the boss's kid that I got it easy. And so I took on the grunt work and I would work and do the tasks that nobody else wanted to do because I knew that my work was reflecting my dad. 
And if they saw the boss's kid getting in there willing to do the dirty work, how could they tell the boss no? Again, that's just a physical example of work that we do day to day with our hands. How much greater is it that when we're willing to work for our Heavenly Father so that the work that we do, the works that he's called out, the works that he's ordained, not ones that we've chosen for ourselves, but what he has called and led us to, how much greater if we do those works heartily so that it reflects well of our Heavenly Father. In Ecclesiastes, we read, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Again, not works that we decide to do, not what we want to do with our own hands, but what we allow him to do with our hands, that our hearts and minds would be stayed upon him, surrendered to him, understanding, as we see in Ephesians 2, that we are his workmanship. We have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Again, these are works that he has prepared for us with a purpose. We are his workmanship. He is the master craftsman that has molded us, shaped us, formed us again. And as these potters we read about in our opening text were given a place near the king to do his work, he told him what he wanted. So often we look at this work that we do, and again, these, these ones that had this place near the king it was great blessing and honor for them to be called into this service, but at times, I'm sure that nobody knew who they were. And so often, that's what we do in our own lives as we look at, at these things. We look at what we are not and instead of what we are. Uh, the pastor and his family sang a song last week about belovedness, and, and it talked about how we were so good at owning things that are demeaning to ourselves. I'm not this, I'm not that, I I'm, I'm fall short in this. Instead of focusing and owning what we are, we are beloved of the Lord. We are a child of the King. We have been loved, forgiven, redeemed by the Almighty God. And that's something that we should look to and remember each and every day. So often in life, the things we do go unnoticed. And that's just a fact of life. There's just so much that we do in our lives day to day that just goes unnoticed. And whether we want to admit it or not, our flesh likes to be recognized. We like to be told, hey, good job. Way to go on this. But we can't let that be what drives us to have recognition, to have thanksgiving, and if we don't get it, to just cross our arms and say, I'm not going to go on. Again, it's easy. I've seen that happen at work. I've had employees at times that have said, well, you, you just never recognize the good things I do, so I just, I'm not going to do it anymore. And you have conversations with them, and you help them to gain understanding that if we stop to say thank you and good job for every single thing that you did in the day of, of your day of work, we would never get anything done. You have to understand that there are times for public recognition and times there is not. Again, in our own lives with the Lord, there are times where others may see the work we are doing and the work that the Lord is doing in us, and there's times they may not. And that's okay. It's his work, his assignment, his choosing, and not ours. Again, if the king put in an order for these potters to say, hey, we need more water pots because the warm months are coming up, and we need to store more water before the well dries up. And they all produced the most ornate, finely crafted dinner plates. Do you think the king would be happy? Do you think they would be rewarded for the work they were called on to not do? Again, in our own lives, we have to be willing to submit and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Paul, on the road to Damascus, he said, Lord, what will you have me to do after encountering the Lord and coming to understand who the risen Savior was? We need to wait upon him for the answer, and clarity will come. 
in order to have that clarity, in order to hear him, moves us on to our next thought, and that is that they dwelt near the king. Again, it's key to remember that this phrase actually comes before the last statement of our opening passage where they do the actual work. This phrase, that they dwelt near the king, is before the work. We need to come near him, dwell near him, day after day, moment by moment, so that we can hear him. Again, in order to be able to hear clearly, we oftentimes need to be near somebody, to, to be close to somebody to hear. And again, as I get older in my own life, I realize I need to be even closer to that person who's talking so that I can hear them and understand what they are saying. Again, I don't know what the level of daily interaction was for these potters with the king. I, I don't know that they met every day with him. I doubt that they did. But I'm confident they knew what the expectation was, what their assignment was, because it was communicated to them. Again, we have the privilege and honor to dwell in the presence of the king. Day by day, moment by moment, we'll turn over to Luke chapter 10 and see an example of this. Dwelling in Jesus' presence, coming and sitting at his feet. In Luke chapter 10, we'll read verses 38 and 39. Again, the, the story here of Mary and Martha as they worship and serve the Lord. In verse 38, it said, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him, welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Again, you know the account as it goes on. Mary was distracted in much serving, and she said, Lord, have her help me. And Jesus reminded her, Martha, calm down. Mary has chosen rightly. She's chosen to sit and listen. Again, there is a time for service. There's a time to go out and do things for the Lord as he leads, as he orders. But first, we must sit. Sit at his feet and listen and glean. What a great privilege is ours to sit at the feet of Jesus, to understand that he is with us always, even to the end of the age. What a great gift and honor was these potters to dwell near the king, to be near him. These potters very likely didn't have very many of their own possessions. They didn't own their own land, but they had everything they needed because the king met their every need. They were kept on the royal estate, kept in comfort, not needing to till the ground, but fed and cared for out of the king's supply. We'll turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And we see how our needs are met, too, by dwelling with the king. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work, as it is written. He has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you were enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. They dwelt with the king. They had everything they needed, and that was a good place to be. We, too, can dwell in the presence of the Almighty. Content, that's what the word sufficiency means there, contentment. And that can be hard to find at times, especially in the world we live in today. There's always something newer. There's always something better, something nicer, something faster, something whatever. There's always something different. And it's not to say that we can't have nice things or even want nice things, but it's to say that that shouldn't be our primary focus or driver. Our primary satisfaction, 
our primary obedience, our primary surrender should be to the one who is all-sufficient, who gives us liberally all things we need to be content, to dwell with him, to work for him. Paul tells us godliness with contentment is great gain. We read here that they had an abundance for every good work. Everything that the Lord calls us to, he will enable, and he will give an abundant supply for us to accomplish what it is he desires for us to accomplish. What peace we forfeit when we forget that, when we forget that we have the protection of the Almighty, the assurance of our needs being met by putting it aside, pushing it away, and putting our own desires and interests first. We forget that by him we are enriched in everything. There's no greater or richer reward than being near the king, which leads us to our last thought this morning. They dwelt with the king for his work. After they they had this trade, they had the training, they understood the position, they dwelt near the king for the work that they were given. And when the work was given, they were to go out and to do it. In our lives, we have a privilege to go on, to press forward, to go on with the Lord and achieve the highest that he has for us. There should be no desire to move or to leave this blessed position, this path that he has put us on, again, to rule and to reign with him. We have a privilege to do the work that he has given us to do with the abilities that he has been given, that have been given to us by him. In Luke 19, we see this example played out in the parable of the Minas. In Luke 19, we'll read verses 11 through 13, where we read, Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Therefore he said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten Minas, and said to them, Do business until I come. Do business till I come has the thought of to occupy, to be busy with. Again, I I know just in the natural things, there's times that you can get preoccupied with something and your mind doesn't stop thinking about what it is that you're preoccupied with, whether it's something you have to do at work or school or home or whatever it may be. Our minds can just get spinning and get wrapped up and we just can't break our focus from that thing. That should be our mindset with the Lord. We should be occupied with the things of the Lord, with the word of God. Again, not that it makes us unable to do our job, the the things just naturally, our family, our work that he gives us to do. But our hearts and minds should be stayed upon the Lord. It should be looking to him and laboring, as Paul says to the Colossians, he says, to this end I labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Again, it's his working. Literally, that, that word strive means to compete for a prize. There's a going on, there's a working For him, again, it's not working for our salvation. It's not working to retain that free gift that God has given us. It's doing the work that he has called us to do, that he allows us to be partakers of his divine nature. He allows us to do things for him that we might grow and understand, that our faith may increase, that we can look to him to understand his working in our lives. In Jeremiah, we have that that familiar passage where the Lord says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Again, he has a plan and a purpose for each one of us to work all things according to the counsel of his will. He's placed us here, wherever it may be, whatever profession, whatever school, wherever it may be, if we're listening to him, he will guide, direct, instruct, enable, and give us the abilities we need to be able to do the work that he's called us to do. 
Again, as we go through our life, we understand that our all-sufficiency is from Christ alone, that by Christ we can do all things. And that doesn't mean that we just hit an easy button and that life doesn't have any stress, anxiety, or fear. If your life is like mine, it has plenty of those things. They're natural. They occur each and every day. But we don't have to stress that somehow we're going to fall short of the provision the Lord has given us. We have to press on and surrender our lives to him. Again, that provision has been made perfectly for us. Our part is simply to obey, to yield, to surrender. We have the Lord to shoulder the needs and the cares of this life as we walk alongside him. He upholds us with his righteous right hand. He is ever present with us. Again, there's only stress, there's only worries as there would be for these potters if they had no other one to provide for them. They certainly could have been stressed and worried about how they might be provided for if they weren't dwelling near the king. We are dwelling near the king, the almighty God who richly provides everything we need. The strength and health of our walk is dependent upon the closeness and continuance of the fellowship we have with him. We are privileged to dwell near the king. I don't know who wrote this. I just have it in my notes from a note that I had elsewhere in my studies, but I'll read it to you. This writer said, How life's burdens would be lightened if we faced them all in the strength of feeling the nearness of our Lord. How impossible it would be that we should ever feel the dreary sense of solitude if we felt that unseen but most real presence of Jesus wrapping around us. We are privileged to dwell near him, to be in his presence, to have his presence wrap around us every day as we surrender to him, as we come to understand that he too has made us kings and priests to God his Father, to rule, to reign with him, to be heirs and joint heirs if indeed we suffer with him, to have victory in our walk with him. And we understand that faith is the victory. It's not burdensome as we read here. For if we, for this is love. If we keep his commandments, the commandments are not burdensome. Again, those potters had physical work to do, dirty work to do. But as they understood who they were working for, the burden is lifted. As we work for our father, the burden is lifted. And we'll close back in Luke 19 where we read that parable just a moment ago. In Luke 19, verse 15. The parable of the Minas again. The master comes back and says, So when he returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that we might know how much every man had gained by training. Then he came first, saying, Master, your Mina has earned ten Minas. And he said to them, Well done, good servant, because you were faithful in very little. You have authority over ten cities. And it goes on for there, from there, rather. Master, your mina has earned ten minas. Again, I think it's important to understand, even in that parable, it's the Lord's work, it's his ability, it's his doing. We are simply to surrender, to yield, and to do business till he comes. To offer up our lives as living sacrifice, to prove his good, perfect, and acceptable will. To do good with the abilities that he gives us, to do the abilities in the work that he calls us to do. To be a reflection of the king, the master potter, as we are his workmanship. Our work, our pottery, should reflect him as an apprentice does their teacher. As we grow, as we walk, these vessels that he has made us, these earthen pots that we ourselves are, will be filled with heavenly treasure as we take in more and more of him. And we dwell near the king for his sake and for his work. And hopefully, our desire, our joy, our crown is to one day hear those words. Well done. 
good and faithful servant. Lord bless you.